Hello, this is Real Estate Insights, the podcast from Savills that roams far and wide to bring you all the most important stories in the property world. And today we're heading down to the farm. Last year saw the smallest amount of farmland bought and sold in living memory. So is the market going to be any more active in 2020? We've definitely seen an increase in inquiries, both from buyers and sellers. It's really a waiting game, waiting for the weather to come right. And with less than half of those that are buying actually farmers, what are they buying the land for? Whereas you would look at some rock or bog or moorland or whatever it might be and think that its productive value is pretty low. If you start looking at how that might attract environmental investment, those areas begin to look a bit more interesting. I'm Guy Ruddle and with me today are three people whose combined knowledge of the farmland market would barely fit into your average small holding. Emily Norton is Head of Rural Research at Savills, although when she has time to do any research I have no idea as she seems to spend most of the last couple of months in the studio with me. Emily, welcome back yet again. Nice to see you again, Guy. Charlie Payton is a director in the Farms and Estates team in London and specialises in the sale and purchase of some of the UK's largest rural properties. Hello Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And George Sarrett runs the Southern Regional Rural Agency team based in Winchester, buying and selling properties across the south of England. George, welcome to Real Estate Insights. Thank you for having me. So let's talk a little bit about last year, first of all. Emily, uh, as I say, you know, the, the smallest amount of land bought and sold since since you guys started measuring these things back in the 19, early 1990s. What drove that, do you think? So if you look back over the history of uh, land transactions that we've been recording, uh, there are certain peaks and troughs within it. And and we find in particular that there's a decline in activity when you get any sort of big issue or regulatory change within the industry. So within recent memory, uh, the change in the way that uh, European Union subsidies were organised in the early 2000s caused a big drop off in sales. And also the foot and mouth crisis caused a big drop off in sales. So what we've seen last year uh, with Brexit was this big move from uh, a European Union designed agricultural policy to start a lot of talk about what a UK agricultural policy or devolved administration agricultural policies might look like. And that caused a huge amount of uncertainty for the industry. Also, all of the uncertainty as to whether we would actually leave the European Union or not. And so with all of that doubt and all of the lack of clarity around what would be happening with farmland, we've seen a real drop off in activity. And Charlie and George, you're out there, you know, wellies on, on farms, day in, day out. Did you find last year that there were there was plenty of people to talk to and they just weren't selling or buying or whatever, or that just there wasn't that much interest around? There was a, there was a great deal of uncertainty. And from what Emily's just said, during times of uncertainty in economics and politics, farmers sit tight. They tend to sit on their hands. Um, last year, we found... Um, there were still people out there. They were still talking. There was certainly plenty of buyers. Um, and actually, the quality of the buyers, I would say, were, were probably better than they have been in yeah. previous years. So if there are plenty of buyers out there, Charlie, you know, normally it's, you know, the, the game is match buyers and sellers. So, you know, you'd have thought there'd be some sellers in the market. I think it, it came down to the matter of its perception, perception in the market. And that's the hardest, hardest issue we've had is trying to get that message out there that there are buyers. And I think it it's normally their life, it's their business, it's their home. It's a very emotive decision. And yeah. I think if there's a lack of confidence that it's a time to be doing it, they're going to sit on their hands. And, and there have been good buyers and there are 
fewer of them, but as George said, they've certainly had really strong reasons to buy. And that's that's the difference we're seeing is less of them, but it's, it's quality, not quantity. And price. The prices, Emily, haven't changed much in the last year or for a few years, right? Is that about right? So we had a whole phase of enormous growth in price after the global financial crisis where um, a dramatic increase um, year on year uh, capital growth well over um, up towards 10% um, and that certainly declined and fallen off since 2014 so 2014 was was the peak of the market uh, in terms of farmland values and it's been pretty steady ever since um, but actually what that steadiness belies is a huge variation on either side of the average. Yeah, I think Emily's absolutely right. And and it's very hard to put numbers like that into a, a paper because there are such huge variances. What I'd say in the, in the south of England last year, and actually a couple of years before that, we've we've seen a significant polarisation in, in values. And we've been trading, there are four or five examples of um, commercial arable land blocks, which have traded eight and a half to £9,000 per acre. And then there are there's blocks of land which have traded at eleven and a half to £12,000 per acre. It's those farms which are one-dimensional farms producing a farm income tend to be down at the eight and a half to nine thousand pounds per acre, and where you've got topography, you've got diversification, you've got income streams um, which provide for lifestyle um, and enjoyment, and generally in closer proximity to the to the city, um, we're seeing premiums being paid. Does topography mean hills? Topography means exactly. It means landscape, hills, shooting, um, general. Gen- I guess it's general landscape beauty which people are looking for. And do those farmers that you guys are talking to understand all that? And do they appreciate and accept all that about price? That you know that the, the prices aren't going up a lot, or, or whatever it is. Do they, or is there a resistance to sell because they just think they can get more money if they yeah. hang on a bit? Yeah, you're right. That that's the hardest thing is um, educating and managing expectations. And because there was such the the growth was so rapid over a ten year period, you say, Emily, um, and actually they've still got that figure in their minds, yeah. and and it's very hard to get them away from it because farmers it takes a two three four year cycle for them because of the emotive family business generational attachment to it. It takes them quite a long time to come to a decision. Those investors that own maybe for different reasons, have different attachments to it, are are quicker to make said decisions. And so I think we're still having those discussions with farmers. It's an education process that will take time. Yeah. So uh, that's a, a fascinating point, that, because I think you sort of touched on it earlier, uh, and, and I've said it right at the beginning. Less than half of the people who are buying this land, Emily, are actual farmers, Right at the moment is that is that unusual so i think um there's a little bit of um, where the information is coming from uh, that we have to be aware of here so when we look at publicly marketed land it's for all agents all types including land that's being sold by savills our understanding of who's buying land uh, is based on deals that we have done so there might be a little bit of bias there in the in the clients that we're working with and so you have to sort of be aware of that but fundamentally um, non-farming buyers form a big proportion of the market there are lots of people who want to own land own these unique amazing 
countryside assets um, who are then very willing to let the land out to other people to farm. Uh, and they bring skills, interest, opportunity, diversification into capital, capital absolutely, yeah. investment into the sector when it when in many cases it's desperately needed and some very um large famous examples of investors who've bought UK farming assets and who've who've done a lot to drive the industry forward. And how much of it, gents, from your experience of being out there, is about changing usage a bit to more I think George you were talking a little bit about you know uh, you're talking about shooting and things like that but also leisure usage or uh, climate carbon capture type stuff that's coming up and all that sort of stuff is that is that is that a big part of the market or do we talk about it as if it is and actually it isn't no it certainly is buyers are looking for um, a diverse diversified asset uh, it's a it's a well-known fact that farming comes are on the decline or certainly under pressure and therefore those going into the sector are looking for other ways to subsidize and essentially reduce the risk of buying ag- agricultural land one of the major um, providers of buyers in the last few years have been has been the benign tax status of owning agricultural land and actually the capital gains tax rollover relief has has put forward quite a lot of quite a lot of interest from those who have sold land for development and are looking to roll over those funds into more agricultural land to save them from paying that capital gains tax right okay it's a fairly boring reason for owning land, fundamentally. I mean, you like to think that actually people look to own land and there's also occasionally some taxation advantages to doing so. Um, it, it, it's very diverse. What we see um, particularly um, is that the lower end of the market is being thought about a little bit differently. So whereas you would look at some um, sort of fairly uninteresting pieces of, of rock or bog or moorland or whatever it might be and think that its productive value is pretty low and therefore its agricultural value is pretty low, if you start looking at how that might attract environmental investment and be the um, target of uh, the way that the government is signalling the future of agricultural payments will be in this country under the Agriculture Bill, which has just been brought back to Parliament, those areas begin to look a bit more interesting again as as the potential source of environmental benefit and and climate benefit, like you just alluded to. So I'm very conscious that that we've talked a lot about the general market. We haven't uh, actually said what's what's the market going to be like in the year, this year, next year, whatever, going forward. So um, first of all, uh, again, George uh, and Charlie, you're, you're out there. Do you get any sense of, of more activity or anything like that in the market, either of you? I, I do. Everyone likes to present a farm when it's dry, leaves on trees, green. Uh, at the moment, it's, it's not, the country's not looking particularly well. So we're having quite a lot of discussions. Whether it's coming through yet, we it's hard to say from my perspective. I don't know George's thoughts, but I think second half of the year we could see definitely um, some more activity and the the election result is only going to be beneficial in terms of clarity. Um, agricultural bill will will also help with that and and people know where they're going. Yeah, George, you get it. Are you we've, more we've, optimistic? We've definitely seen an increase in in inquiries uh, in the south, um, both from buyers and sellers. Um, and as Charlie said, it's a it's a it's a really a, um, a waiting game, waiting for the weather to come right. 
um, and for the for the spring to emerge. Everybody's under the cost of the same situation, and actually, uh, it's pretty pretty dire when rent payments still need to be made. When you um, you know looking at your cropping options for twenty twenty will will really polarise some people, a lot of people's commitment to actually riding out the weather and saying there's a lot of stuff that's out of your control, particularly when that whole regulatory piece around it is changing because that was all about riding out that risk and the risk of agricultural activity is pretty high you know and if you're not going to be getting the same sort of subsidy regime have you got the appetite to take that on going forwards and I think for many people that will be a big question. And I think that I think that also comes back to that point of the time it takes for farmers particularly to make that decision and and so Emily's absolutely right I think it's they're, they're going to be pretty badly hit this year depending on what happens in spring and cropping but but profit, profits are going to be down and, and they will be thinking about what they do. It's that heart and head. And and the, often in this world, the heart will rule the head. Yeah. There are always there are always deals, though, that buck the trend. And all I can say is the, the example of a, a, a farm we sold last year, really in the peak of the political uncertainty when we were talking about the elections and Brexit. And we put 300 and something acres on the market in the south of England. We had several buyers bidding ensued and we sold it for over 10 grand an acre. So... There are all these examples of the weather and it's all very downbeat, but there are certainly um, you know, there are moments out there when actually the market's still very alive and things are happening. George saying, stop talking my market down. No, I think, I think there is positivity going forward. There has yeah. to be. Um, and there are lots of other opportunities for agriculture that if people look five, ten years in the future, you talk about environment, carbon offsetting, that's going to be absolutely key to values, income and and making making the most of our country. It's, it's the appetite for change. You know, those who are in the industry at the moment who haven't got the appetite for change, there are plenty of people waiting who have got the appetite for change. And I think it's, it's almost accepting that it's it's not a failure. It's, it's simply everybody has their chance to have a go and then, you know, moving that asset on, doing something else, retiring to the south of France, as I keep telling my father to do. You know, why not? <laughs> Emily's because you're a farmer, right? My family's still farm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're running out of time a little bit, but what I did want to do is sort of run through the things that might influence the market this year. So, and we sort of talked about some of them. So, if we can sort of rattle through the agriculture, is it, when I talk about the agriculture bill, that will include a changing the way we subsidise farming or owning farmland, right? So, simply at the moment, yeah, under the European derived system, um, the only way that they control it is to work out how many acres of land you control or own as a farmer, and they will pay you an amount of money which is conditional on farming that land in a certain way. So, the area based payments. And in the future, uh, we will move completely away from area-based payments, which are arguably quite unfair and not really um, achieving what they're supposed to be achieving, and move to this lovely system called public money for public goods. And so public goods can be all sorts of things around clean air, clean water, biodiversity provision, all that kind of stuff. It's a very different purpose for which money will be given to, to land managers. And is that going to change both the way people use land, but also whether they are, you know, the, the, the state of the market, do you think, guys? I think it's a. I think it's a positive. Uh, certainly, in the south of England, where we we go back to topography point and landscape, where we've got probably more mixed farms than you will have in the in East Anglia, where you've got you know sort of um, cereal mainly cereal growing. <clears throat> I think it's a great opp- opportunity for for new farming entrants, uh, next generation farmers. I think it's putting a real really different um, uh, slide on the market, and I think it'll be it'll be very interesting. And I think those farmers that are good, the best in class, will actually prosper because it all comes down to innovation and being 
you're willing to embrace that in the future? And I think it will also enable farmers, land managers to look at what they're cropping, look at what they're growing, where and when, take out that area-based thinking to say, well, we're only going to get paid if, if we crop it and just go, well, what have we got? Um, which bits are we cropping? Which bits are we not cropping? So there should be a big advantage for, for the environment there and, and how land is used. We're very short of time. Now, there's one other thing I was going to talk about before we get to the Savile standout statistic, which was the sort of big thing, uh, Charlie and George, perhaps, on, you know, the need for land. You know, we have a growing population. Surely we're going to need more housing, more warehousing, more roads, more this, more that and the other. Is that a factor in your in your working lives? Is that a Data, not data necessarily, but is that a factor that, that that's that's there and present? It, it, it provides us with another source of buyer, and that is the strategic land buyer, who is playing a significantly important part in our in our marketplace. Um, and they are um, they run from institutions to private individuals investing in 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 long term land ownership. Yeah. I think one of the key things we always have when we're we're looking at a lot of the larger land portfolio sales that we will do is it's it's one great reason one of many great reasons to own farmland is you're in a very densely densely populated country whereby just owning land and look having a long-term view there are lots of spin-offs and ways to make make money not just from farming but i think it also will be that it comes back to that efficiency of the farmers and the good farmers that they will just have to make the acres that we've got go further It's time for the Savile standout statistic. We'll try and do it quite quickly this time. Uh, let's go round the table. We'll start. We'll start over there. George, what's your Savile standout statistic? Well, my Savile standout statistic is that in 2019, just 117,000 acres were publicly marketed in Great Britain, which is the lowest acreage since our records began in 1993. The previous low was 135,000 acres in 2012. Gosh, that is quite stark, isn't it? Emily, have you got something a little bit, little bit more positive for us? It's sort of an oddly positive one, and that is that the total value of UK agricultural assets is around about £276 billion. Okay, so that's the asset value of UK agricultural assets. And um, that's against a, a debt borrowing against that of only £21 billion. So it's a re- relatively low amount. It's about 7%. So actually, um, there's a huge amount of finance being targeted at the farmland sector because of that very low uh, debt-to-asset ratio. Definitely need to leverage that up a lot more, don't we? I'm joking. By the way, <laughs> everyone's looking aghast at me. Charlie, what is your standout statistic? Well, Guy, it comes back nicely to a point that we discussed earlier that in 2019, 50% of transactions over 500 acres dealt with by Savills were acquired by overseas investors. Guys, that's been fascinating. Thank you very much for being here. Gents, did you enjoy your first experience of Real Estate Insights? Absolutely. Very interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Thank you very much. Emily, you'll be here tomorrow for another one or whatever. On on something. (laughs) Emily and I, we're almost co-presenting this these days. Uh, As I say, fantastic. Thanks, everybody, uh, for being here. Great stuff. That's it for this episode of Real Estate Insights. If all we've done is whetted your appetite for more information about the farmland market, then you'll find it in the Spotlight on Farmland report, which you can find on the Savills website, the research section, savills.co.uk slash research. Uh, And if you're not a subscriber to Real Estate Insights, why? Uh, But more importantly, feel free to become one uh, using your usual podcast provider. There are all sorts of topics there. Honestly, the range is is mind-blowing. In the meantime, thanks for listening. See you next time. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. 
Savills accepts no liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect or consequential loss arising from the use of, reference to or reliance on this podcast or its content. Savills makes no warranty as to the accuracy of the information in this podcast. This podcast and all copyright in this podcast is the property of Savills and it shall not be used, reproduced or quoted in whole or in part without Savills' prior written consent.